There's a song, and it actually has the lyrics, sorry has to be the hardest word. But sometimes it's not even the sorry as it is the forgiveness. Forgiveness sometimes seems to be an even harder word for us to deal with. It's a a harder thing for us to accept, and, and it's a much harder process to go through. Well, on today's show, we have Dr. Pamela Habib, co-pastor of Community Church Fixer of Hearts in New Jersey, and she has also published a book about forgiving, about forgiveness. And we are so excited to talk about Walking Away from Your Past, which is the book that she authored. And I'm just really excited to have Dr. Pamela Habib here on Touch by Prayer. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This is this is such a um, a topic that is so near and dear to me because I've actually had to deal with it, like especially recently I've been dealing it with with people who just can't let go of their past. What do you think that that that's from? Well, there are a lot of different reasons for it, but the depth of pain when we have been sinned against, when we've gone through drama and trauma, when we've been betrayed, goes down to the deepest core of us. And the closer the person is to us or the higher esteem that we hold them in, the greater the pain. And while they teach us how to do math in school and how to learn about history and write letters, they don't equip us so much emotionally and how to handle the things that everybody goes through in life. Well, you actually wrote a book called How to Forget the Past, which I believe you can get on Amazon.com, correct? Yes. Okay. And in this book, you talk about how not only can you fix and and forget your past, but you can actually take your past and actually like walk through it and embrace it and also like have actually victory in it. It can actually become an asset. All the garbage we go through, if we'll put it in God's hands, the Bible lets us know it won't go to waste. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, uh, Joseph had come to experience that what others had meant for evil, God meant for good. It wasn't that God was behind the bad things that happened to us, but he knew the end from the beginning, and he knew that they could be turned around and become an asset and used for good to help many people. Well, if you think about, there's a verse that says that God will give you beauty for your ashes. And, yes. and ashes back in the Bible, like what they really said is that ashes was a, was a part of repentance. Was it was something that, that um, you had to kind of forgive. So forgiveness right. is, is so important. And what happens if we can't forgive those people who have hurt us because the wounds are just so deep? Well, a lot of things end up happening to us. One thing it begins to contaminate and poison every area of our life. And it's almost as if we've taken poison and we're waiting for the person that we're holding the unforgiveness towards to die. And it doesn't work out that way. It can grow into bitterness and skew our perception of things. It can impact our health. And the Bible tells us, God says, if we don't forgive others, he's not going to forgive us. And that is seriously heavy. Yes. And sometimes... 
sometimes our understanding of what forgiveness is is incomplete. For example, Jesus' disciples, uh, Peter had asked Jesus, how many times should we forgive? Three times, which was the tradition of the day in their teaching. And Jesus said, well, actually, Peter had asked seven times, thinking he exceeded the average of the day historically. And Jesus said, I say 70 times seven. Now, Peter didn't respond, and Peter was known to be very talkative, but he said nothing afterwards. I imagine his mouth dropped. (laughs) But Jesus didn't mean keep track, write down, and when 491 comes, you can take out the baseball bat and let him have it. Jesus was saying as much as it takes. And in another instance, in Luke chapter 17, verse 5, Jesus was teaching all of his disciples the same thing, and their response was, Lord, increase our faith. And we can ask the same thing, too. But one of the greatest things that helped me break through and being able to forgive very serious things, for example, my first memory in life was of being sexually abused by a family member. My life was like a soap opera before I got saved, And even after I became a Christian, there were still challenges, and I've gone through very serious things. But when I came to understand that forgiveness is canceling a debt and releasing the person, but it's also understanding it's a choice and it's not and emotion. And that is a huge thing, especially for believers, that they're battling, thinking, well, if I still feel hurt, and if I still feel angry, then I didn't really forgive, or I'm a hypocrite. And that's not what is true. Forgiveness is a decision. Feelings will follow that. The emotions will follow that. And Healing can begin once we forgive. And the way I help people really grasp that concept is I'll ask them to show me a sad face. I'll ask them, show me their happy face. I'll ask them, show me their surprise face. And then I'll ask them to show me their forgiveness face. And usually it's either a blank stare or a puzzled look. The reason being There's not an expression for it because it's not an emotion. And so we can choose to forgive while we are still in the middle of having such an emotional battle. And in addition to that, personally, I believe there are some things that are so horrendous that it is not humanly possible to forgive that we need to be enabled by God. There are atrocities done to people. There is such cruelty at times in this world, things that just should not be an unspeakable thing. And it is at that place where we absolutely need God, because God's grace, His enabling power, He'll make up the difference, but He wants us to make the choice by an act of our will to act on what he tells us to do in the Bible, which is to forgive, to cancel a debt. And sometimes, many times, it seems that it is not fair, as if somebody got away with something. So we need to understand what forgiveness 
isn't. It doesn't mean we excuse or minimize what was done. It doesn't mean we said what the person did was okay and that they're not guilty. It does not mean there won't be consequences for their actions or that they're not going to have to answer to God. It doesn't mean we have to keep trusting the person. Trust has to be re-earned. It doesn't mean we give the person permission to continue to sin against us. And it doesn't mean forgetting. It does mean, though, that the sin will come out of the memory. My book, How to Forget the Past, isn't that we get divine amnesia, but like the Apostle Paul, we learn how to forget. And when we look in Webster's Dictionary, so many of the words there, especially if you'll go in the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, it'll put scriptures there. But one of the definitions of the word forget is to intentionally disregard. In other words, we don't pretend it didn't happen, but we make a choice to understand this is in the past, and this is over, and that we are going to move forward, and we are not going to stay imprisoned by it. We're not going to stay trapped by the past. We are going to be able to move forward in the freedom that God wants us to. Well, it's interesting about the past because, you know, there was one time that the Lord gave me this vision and he showed me a cemetery and he showed me people living in the cemetery and they had it like decorated so nice. And, and he said, those are people who live in the past. They're living in a cemetery. There is nothing but death there. There's no life. And he says, but they've tried to make it look nice. They, they try to spruce it up, so to speak, but they're still living in a place where there's no life. The future is where you actually have your life. That's where you can make those changes and you can start living the life that God had called you because what has happened in the past is almost like dead. That's exactly true. There's a very successful NFL coach. And he says, if you live in the past, you'll die in the present. It robs us of joy in the present. It robs us of energy. And it really just continues to bring our mind going back there. And it takes a lot of energy because the more we feed on that thing, the more it grows. And that bitterness takes root. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that when we become bitter, it comes out of us and it contaminates other people. And so we're not so much fun to be around. Yeah, I definitely can see that. But I also can see that, you know, Jesus also said, you know, above all things, guard your heart. Because he said quickly, you know, it's important for us to quickly forgive because otherwise we can become bitter. We can become so, so unfeeling because of the hurt And I'm not saying that it's easy. Some, as you you stated, some atrocities, I mean, some things are so horrendous. And even if if it's not something that other people might consider, each person has something they, they... that they have gone through that has hurt them. And sometimes to someone else, it might not be something, but to them, it hurt to the core. That's right. Especially, so we can't judge, well... Well, that person, you know, was was constantly beaten by their parents. And, oh, you, you got punished and weren't able to go to prom because you did something wrong. But that doesn't negate that both people experienced something 
like that really hurt them because what if that that person who didn't go to prom, which doesn't seem to be a big deal, but to them, it was everything. And they were so hurt by something as silly as that to other people. But to them, it was a true hurt. So we can never judge what somebody feels or or how something has ripped apart at, at their core because you just don't understand it. So everybody's infraction, I guess, or the things that have hurt people, like it's so individualized. Because It is. And something that's important about that, because after people hear my testimony, they'll look and say, oh, well, my thing's not so big. And they'll beat themselves up over it almost as if, well, they should just get over it. But the truth is everything that you just said, and that is so important so that people don't try and even minimize what was done to them and try and push it aside because it becomes like a pressure cooker inside. We still carry it. Mm -hmm. Emotions are like energy in motion. They're born. They need to live and be expressed, and then they need to die. But if we keep stuffing them back down, nothing gets resolved, and we carry it. And it can turn into a very heavy depression because there's a mix of feelings of anger, and grief. And sometimes Sometimes rejection too. Well, there's also rejection too. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, somebody who feels rejected or an outcast, you know, think about teenagers, you know, and they go through their stuff. And if, if you were with a bunch of people and then all of a sudden they chose not to be with you, that can just, that can destroy you. That could destroy a person. So that rejection, that hurt anything that, that makes you question who you are, I believe is a hurt. Definitely. That that's so important to understand that rejection is just a whole nother topic. I mean, a, a book and seminar in itself. And that's why I do appreciate going into the book of Isaiah where it says Jesus was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He experienced rejection. And so he's made provision to bring healing and restoration for that when he tells us we are accepted in the beloved and he'll never leave us and forsake us and knowing who we are in Christ and to him. And you know what what's what's interesting though is sometimes we think we can we have forgotten or we have forgiven. But then sometimes as we start to talk about it, we start to realize that there are still some unresolved issues, especially if it's something that you don't think about. It's, it's been on the back burner, like you said. It just never got dealt with. It was just like taking a, a piece of luggage and, and just saying, you know what, I have clothes in it, but I really don't wear them. Let me just go. I'll just stick it in the closet and I'll deal with it <laughs> at some point. Eventually, you know, especially if the clothes were not washed properly, there's going to be there's going to be an odor coming from that yeah. closet eventually. And I think that's sometimes the problem is that we'll take stuff, as you said, and we'll just start to push it back into the recesses. And what's so beautiful about God is as he's starting to transform us and to take us and bring us closer into the image of Christ, because we're willing and we're able and we want to go there. Like he'll start unpacking that nasty, dirty laundry (laughs) and and he'll start saying, okay, we're going to take out that nasty, dirty, stinking laundry. And guess what we're going to do? We're going to wash it. We're going to cleanse it. And then comes out in layers. That's right. And it has to. Sometimes that's all people can handle. What happens often, too, for believers 
And the principles in the Word work whether you're a believer or not. But often believers will try and make a shortcut to forgiveness and then wonder why they're still having these different feelings and they're not healing from it. But we can't just always, unless we have a lifestyle of forgiveness and really understanding the emotional side of it, we can't just make a quick shortcut and say, well, I forgive them if it's something that's been rather devastating to us because the emotions go deep. And the Bible lets us know we have to be real specific in identifying what, what, in what way we were wrong and how we're feeling. And we need to recognize our emotions. And we women do it a little easier than men do. We need to recognize, you know, if we're grieving. And we need to be able to mourn. The Bible says there's a time for everything. There's a time to weep. There's a time to mourn. And so we need to release those feelings. And it's a healthy thing to cry. Jesus cried in public. So... He's our example. And a lot of cultures, different parts of this world, including the United States, men are shamed for crying. You know, big boys don't cry. Real men don't cry. Well, that's not Bible. We're given tear ducts for reasons other than just to keep our eyes cleaned and moist. There is a time to mourn. And then releasing anger and releasing it in a godly way about the scenario, because If we've been sinned against, we feel hurt, we feel angry. The Bible says be angry and sin not. One of the easy ways to know, well, how do I be angry and sin not? Sinful anger is destructive. Whether it's beating yourself up, verbally beating somebody else up, smashing something, that's destructive. And again, that's a whole other topic in itself. But it's important to go through and experience the feelings and let them out, and sometimes it does come in layers, and it, depending on the devastation, there's not a set time period. Now, a year later, other than if something really unspeakable happened, we should be at the point where, you know, we're, we're doing okay, and we've forgiven, and we're able to move on. If something traumatic has happened, it's good to get godly counsel to someone walking us through that. But we can't take a shortcut to forgiveness. It's a process, and it can take time. And people need to understand that and be willing to look and have the courage to face the emotions. And then sometimes the person we need to forgive is ourselves. It can take courage to point a finger at self and say, I shot myself in the foot. I created this scenario that has really done damage to me, and now I need to forgive me. And then, one of the things early in my Christian walk, and before I got saved, I spent decades so angry at God. Now, God has not ever done anything wrong, and He never will. And while I understand that in my brain, my emotions are saying, God, I'm angry at you. And so our perception, there are times we need to be able to look and be honest with God. He already knows how we feel. And look and say, God, I know you didn't do anything wrong, but I feel like you did. You know, 
you, you didn't come to my rescue this way or the way I thought you should or I felt you weren't there for me or why didn't, whatever reason. But if we're really holding on to it, we need to look and say, God, I, this doesn't make sense, but I do need to choose to forgive you because this is coming between us and I'm mad at you. And I know you are right and I'm not, but sometimes it even needs to go there because I grew up really angry at God. Well, especially if it's something that you feel like you don't have control of, but he does. That can definitely trigger, well, wait a second, I can't do anything, but you are the creator of the heavens and the earth and you can, you've opened up seas and, and you've sent ravens to feed people, especially if you know the Bible. Like you can think about all these great things that God has done, but look, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego went through that fire. They did. They went through that fire. But Jesus was in the fire with them. Yes. And I think that's that's something that we we have to kind of fall back on. And we have to say that we were, when we were going through these atrocities, whether we were saved or we weren't, we weren't saved. Because God called us at our birth to, to be with him. He called yes. us. And so if you go back and you look at some of those hardest times, there are times that I guarantee that you can see the hand of God in it. You can see mm-hmm. how he was trying to either protect you or, or trying to comfort you or trying to make it better because he doesn't want his children hurt. That's not his heart. That's it. In retrospect, when you read the book of Genesis and the story of Joseph, you'll see the phrase repeatedly, and God was with him. Yes. That was Joseph looking in hindsight back over his life. In the moment it was happening, he may not have recognized it, but in looking back. And it's part of the reason why I've written my second book called God, Where Were You When? That's on Amazon, too. That's a great book. And because that really came out of where I had anger at God. Well, where were you or why didn't you intervene? And then being able to look in the Bible and see God was never absent. He keeps all our tears in a bottle, the Bible says. The Bible tells us he has inscribed our name on the palms of his hands. And when we go to sleep at night, he's watching us. And when we wake up in the morning, he's still watching us. That he'll never leave us or forsake us. Even if we made our bed in hell, the Bible says, he'll be there with us. And so being able to really understand, looking through the Word, it helps us a lot more, especially for people that struggle with anger at God, because I was angry because I was ignorant. Well, I also think, too, if you don't have a personal relationship with God, it's easier to make Him the villain. Because, oh, absolutely. Because the churches, there are so many churches who actually say, well, you got that from God. God did that to you. You know, people actually yeah. believe, well, I'm sick because God is trying to teach me something. Really? Seriously? <laughs> like, Yeah, I mean, the Bible says that God is not tempted with evil. He doesn't do evil. He said, it says every good and perfect gift comes from God. And honestly, sometimes I wonder if God is doing all these horrible things to people, what do people think the devil is doing? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then Jesus even addressed some things are just happenstance from living in this life. Correct. Everything is not always God, the devil. Sometimes it's people, and sometimes it's what Jesus addressed as happenstance. Well, we live in a fallen world, 
And that's, that's part of the problem is because at some point, every single person, I don't care how great you have had your life and you look back in retrospect, there has been some point in your life where something has happened that you have been hurt. Every single person has it. It doesn't matter because hurt people hurt people. So it's only eventual that you're going to get, you're going to encounter someone or you are going to be the, the person who hurt somebody because if the hurt never gets fixed, then the hurting continues. Absolutely. And I think like what you were talking about, like forgiving yourself. I think that people struggle with that, especially Christians struggle with that the most. Because they're so, they'll, they'll quickly try to forgive other people, but then they'll harbor this self-hatred towards themselves. Oh, it was yeah, my fault. Yeah, that's something I've preached about often. One message I preach is called, Stop Beating Yourself Up. The Bible tells us the devil's the accuser of the brethren, and we need to stop doing his job for him. I mean, God said we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and we need to accept that we are who he says we are, and that we are treasure to Him, and that He adores us, and He loves us, and I mean, that's it. It, We really are to die for. Jesus came and died for us, and His love is beyond our ability to grasp. But so often, because of experiences in life, whether people have been abused or verbally abused or you know, had people make fun of them or rejected them, the people start rejecting themselves. And they internalize things people said of either, well, you're stupid, or I wish you'd never been born, or, or, you know, you were a mistake. And so people take that as their identity. And that's where we need to be transformed by renewing our mind with the Word of God and understand that we are kings and priests and we are joint heirs with Christ, co-laborers with God, that we are so valuable to Him, and that we are all gifted. We all have a purpose. His plans for us are for good, to give us a future and a hope, and to really get our identity in Christ, not from messages around the world, not for from looking in a magazine where people are photoshopped and airbrushed and Nobody really looks like that and think we're supposed to. Now, and you know what's what's so good about what you just said is that lately I've been actually talking to women. And one of the things that, that the Lord really has put on my heart is identity because women just don't. I mean, there are so many people who don't know their identity, but for some reason, God is like really bringing women who just don't know their identity. And the interesting thing that he's been doing with me, Pam, is that he's actually been having me break some of the word curses that have been spoken over these women. And I've actually, I have them repeat words that the Holy Spirit is telling me to repeat to them until they get it until they get it. And there was one woman that I was talking to and this is, this is, and she had to keep repeating this, that I am my father's beloved in whom he is well pleased. That that's what Mm. the Holy spirit told me to tell her. So she repeat. So she said it and I said, okay, say it again. And then she said it again. I am my father's beloved in whom he is well pleased. I said, okay, say it again. And I, and she said it again. And we must have done, she must have said it like 10 or 15 times. And she's looking at me like I'm nuts. 
But what was so beautiful, the Holy Spirit then had me put my hand on her heart. I said, okay, now say it. And when she said it, she broke and she mm. cried and she cried. And so we, she started to say that, that she just, she couldn't. And she, and so we, we dealt with the word curses and the things that her father spoke over her. And so we forgave him. But after we forgave him, after she released her dad from those things that he said about her, she was then, I said, okay, now say it. And she was able to say that same word and smile and believe it and receive it and walk in it. Because I think that's the thing. It's, it's so important to be careful about what we say about ourselves Yes. because we curse ourselves. Oh, I'm this. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm that. Oh, I'm that. We have to stop. And really, it comes by hearing. Absolutely. It comes by hearing, and we hear ourselves speak. And so what we're speaking over ourselves, we start believing that because we're putting it in our heart. And there are times where I've learned, even if I'm not feeling something yet, and might feel a little ridiculous saying it according to the Word because I'm not feeling it, I have learned to speak it by faith and expect any feelings to follow later on, but to make the choice by faith, I'm going to start saying it out loud so that I'm voicing it that's in the air and I'm hearing it and reinforcing it so that that becomes the reality. Now, that also would be a great exercise for people to actually start saying, I forgive and saying it out loud. They don't have to say it in front of other people, but just to say, I forgive such and such, because as you speak it, you're speaking it from your own mouth. You're hearing it with your ears. Something changes when you say something and you hear yourself say it. There's something that just kind of resonates with that because our words it's have a, power. Life and death, or actually the verses death and life, are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. In other words, you're going to eat your words. You're going right. to have what you keep speaking. Now, I'm not talking being ridiculous, saying, I'm a millionaire, I'm a millionaire, I'm a millionaire, and you don't go to work. But right. it's looking when we speak the Word of God and who we are to Him and speaking aloud, because words are, the Bible says, words are spirit and they are life. And God created the entire universe by His Word. And the Bible says He upholds all things. By his word. And in the beginning, Jesus was the word with a capital W. And Genesis 1.26 says we are created in the image and likeness of God. So that there is creative power in our words as well. And so faith does not come by reading. The Bible doesn't say it comes by reading. The Bible even tells us in the book of Joshua to meditate on the word day and night. And that word meditate there means to speak softly, like to yourself. And years ago, I would see certain people, they'd be reading and their lips would be moving. And I'd, I'd think, how foolish. Well, I can be seen doing that now, too, because I'm softly speaking so that faith is coming. So I'm not just reading it, I'm hearing it, knowing that faith is going to come by hearing, not by reading. And that's so important because we can actually start changing our circumstances. Now, it's not going to be like you're going to go to bed and then wake up the next day and everything's different, which in some cases God has done things like that. 
But it's a steady process. And as you start to believe who you are, as you start to walk out and to let go of the past, as you start to even look into your future, like there, there, there was um, a woman and she, she actually was dealing with anorexia. And so I was like dealing with her. And the funny thing is, is that after I prayed with her and she accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior that day, but the Lord showed me, have her look into the mirror. I'm like have her look into the mirror. So uh, sure enough, there's a mirror, right? Like right in front of me. I didn't even notice it. But when we looked and and I said, what do you see? And the interesting thing about anorexia is you hate what you look like. So you don't like to look. (laughs) So as she, she looked and I'm making her look and she says, I see myself. I'm so sad. I'm so this, I'm so that. And I said, okay. And then I put my hands on her and I prayed over her and I said, Okay, now what do you say? Because the Lord told me to do this. Do you know that she saw Jesus? She goes, I see him. I go, who? Huh? What? <laughs> she goes, I, I, I see him. I go, who him? <laughs> she, I see Jesus. I'm like, no. And, and, I'm, and I'm seeing that. And I said, is he smiling at you? Because I just saw Jesus smile. She says, yes, he is. I went, oh my goodness. So, but what, this is what was so cool about what, what Jesus did. She didn't like looking at herself in the mirror. And so what she would, what he would do is he would make her stare into the mirror long enough until he would appear and it started to become longer. She'd have to look in the mirror longer in order for him to, in order. She says, it's kind of irritating, honestly, you know what I mean? Because, but there was something inside of her. Is he going to show up? So she would actually have to stare at herself longer in the mirror, but it was getting her Mm. to see herself differently. And I thought that's so brilliant. Like that is, is so brilliant. Well, that's why in the book of Isaiah, he's called the counselor with a capital C. Amen. Amen. And I think that's part of the the beauty, like it, as the Holy Spirit gives us the words and, he, and it says that, you know, he will give us knowledge. He will give us yes. wisdom. But see, all of this wisdom, all of this knowledge is, is just to set the captives free. It, it it, it's not a secret formula to, you know, it, it, but it's really just to continue the work that Jesus started, which is getting people out of these bonds of, of unforgiveness, of despair, of hopelessness. Because I think you're also working on a, a book or have just published a book, correct? I'm in the midst of writing it. Uh, it's called How to Cope When You're Losing Hope. See, it's such yeah. a perfect segue. Look at how the Holy Spirit just put that right in there. <laughs> But that's the whole thing is that we, the, the church, and, I, and I'm speaking this on my observation, okay? But I feel like the church has lost their hope. There are people who- Many s- people have. Yeah. And they sit, they sit, and they keep wondering, when is it going to change? How is it going to change? They can't see the change. But I think what they're not realizing is that they can be the change that every single day- they can start changing just one little thing. If you start to change one thing, it sets into motion a chain of events that actually changes things. Like It does. What catches up to people when it comes to hope, and just one aspect of hope, I'm not referring to people going through um, health situations and something like that, but in terms of people waiting for something to come to pass. For example, somebody waiting for a spouse, but they've been waiting decades. And the passage of time 
can wear us down. And the Bible tells us faith and patience inherit the promise, but it also says don't grow weary in well-doing in due season. You'll reap if you faint not. And sometimes it can become so painful to hope anymore because we've been disappointed so many times and we've just kind of got worn out. The Bible tells us hope deferred makes the heart sick. Fortunately, it doesn't stay there. It says, but when it comes to pass, it's a tree of life. And we have so many examples in the Bible of people that waited many years for promises of God to come to pass in their life. And that's what really catches up to a whole lot of believers is the passage of time. They just get weary. And I think that, you know, when we start to look at, um, in Hebrews, it talks about all the the great men of faith, you know, starting with Abraham, because he believed that he was going to have a son. And and God did it when it was virtually impossible for them to naturally do it, because he wanted it to be supernatural. But there were so many other heroes of faith. That's, I I think, kind of, that's what I call that, that particular chapter. It's like the heroes of faith, that they got to see God do things. Like even with Moses, how he was able to convince, finally, through the power of God, to, to let the Israelites go, how God was so faithful in the desert for 40 years. I mean, there were so many things of faith, but... I think we we have become such a society that we don't know how to wait. We just don't know how to wait. And so what happens because of television, because of the internet, I mean, we don't even have to go to a dictionary anymore. We just go to Google. We don't, do you know? I mean, we, we have gone such a far away from instant gratification that I think we've become almost, we've become, we don't know how to wait. We don't know That's how to true. endure. That's true. And I think that what when we endure, I think it's a strengthening exercise, and especially if we're enduring for, for a breakthrough. But it's almost like you have to contend. Like you, you have to just continue, like you were saying earlier, speaking it through and just believing in that promise. Because it says, you know, do not look, you know, don't be like the waves tossed, you know, from side to side. You have to stay focused like whatever it is. I mean, there was um, a secular book called The Secret that came out, I don't know, like 10 years ago. It was huge. I mean, Oprah had it and everybody was talking about the this book, The Secret. And so my brother, he got it for me. And so I started reading it and I'm like, Rick, like seriously, th- these are Bible. <laughs> this is all found in the Bible. Seriously, it's all found in the Bible. This is nothing new. This is from the Bible. <laughs> I said they, they just left out the chapter and verses. Correct. But it's the same. I said, because we were created in, like you said, we were created in God's image. So the things that we are created to do, whether we follow Christ or we don't, like we, because God loves us so much that he yeah. doesn't take away what he's created us to do. He doesn't no, take he away doesn't. that ability. That's right. And he doesn't change his mind. So, th- so people are able, like in the secret, they say, well, the law of attraction. Well, it, it, that's basically life and death. That's speaking. That's the power of what we speak. What, and also, so is a man thinketh, so is he. Yes. And I think that those are, those are so important. We forget about those things because the enemy comes in and what he does is he causes confusion because that's what he did to Adam and Eve. He did it to yes. Eve. He confused her. 
did he really say you would die if you ate that fruit? He put in that doubt. So we start to doubt who we are. Or was this the right thing? Should I believe this? Maybe God didn't say this. And I think that's where all that stuff starts and we start to lose our focus. Yeah. And I think that, you know, getting our hope back, which I I can't wait for this book to be released because there are so many people who, you know, they're they're so close to their breakthrough. They're so close. And I feel like that's something that that the fathers really kind of, I truly believe that 2016 is going to be a year of breakthrough. That sounds great to me, too. I'll take it. Yeah, because there have been so many people who have been contending. They have not grown, uh, grown weary. They, they are just still contending and standing on the promises because we know that they surely will come to pass if you just keep believing. And you know what? Even if along the way we kind of stop believing, what I like about God in our journey if you want to compare it to a marathon, if, uh, you know, we just kind of quit for a little bit and or sat down or we fell, God's not asking us to go back to the starting line. We nope. pick up where we are and we just keep on going. That's so we good. We just keep going forward. And the Bible tells us the righteous man falls seven times, but the Lord upholds him. And the Bible tells us, Having done all to stand, stand therefore. But sometimes we don't feel like we can stand anymore. But the Bible goes on to say God is able to make us stand. Because sometimes I feel like, God, I, okay, if I have to crawl to get going forward, so to say, I'll do that. But then sometimes I'm just, God, I love in the book of Isaiah where God tells us when we have no strength, zero, we have nothing left. And that's when he tells us to come to him and he'll exchange our no strength for his strength and he'll impart that to us. And that really encourages me because people can be prone to beating themselves up and looking and saying, yeah, well, I failed God or I I quit or I had doubts or we don't need to beat ourselves up. I always say, God is too good, and I'm glad he's rich in mercy. He looks to qualify us, not disqualify us. And that's a good daddy. That's just a good daddy. So now let me ask you a question. So going back to unforgiveness, this is something that um, I truly believe that some of the people who have been hurt, they continually find offense with other people. This happened. Oh, oh. And, and and it's it's just because they never dealt with the unforgiveness from I think childhood. Because I think most of the stuff happens mm-hmm. as in childhood and we just carry it. So how how does somebody if if you are dealing with an unforgiveness, if, if you like what are some of the signs that somebody should I hate to like pinpoint it that way, but are there some questions that you can kind of ask yourself? Well, One thing that I have noticed is that people that are very touchy and are very easily offended, it ends up happening very often because of uh, issues with their image, insecurities, uh, definitely a lot of different wounds. And so... They don't realize at times that some of the 
uh, ones that are the most easily offended also become quite offensive. And out of their pain, like you said, hurting people hurt people. What happens is that some people will say, well, it's just the way I am. Or they'll make excuses and say, well, my father was that way. Well, here's the thing. We're new creations in Christ. We need to put off the old man and put on the new man. We do need to go before the Holy Ghost and say, okay, I have some wounds. They need taken care of. Well, how do I know if it's a wound that needs taken care of? Well, it's kind of simple. When somebody has a broken leg, how are they aware of it? It hurts. Well, if there's a memory that comes to mind that causes anger or pain, that's looking and let us know it's something that needs healing in our lives. If we were subjected to verbal abuse throughout our youth, it's not uncommon for a person to grow up and be verbally abusive, repeating the behavior and perpetrating it. But we can't make excuses. We need to have the courage and point at ourselves and not uh, beat ourselves up, not say I'm a mistake. And part of the challenge in it is when we feel shame. There's difference between uh, a healthy guilt and having shame. When we're feeling shame, we feel flawed and defective, and like Adam and Eve, they went to cover themselves up. They went to kind of protect themselves, and they went to hide themselves. And mankind still does the same thing. So it's important to have the courage to look at these things, to understand we're not defective, we've been wounded, that we can receive healing, and that in some practical ways, we need to start putting off the old man and putting on the new man. And that can take some time. It takes effort. It's a lifetime renewing our minds with the Word. Nobody has it all together. But that is something that it's so vital for us to address, because otherwise we go through life sabotaging ourselves. Right. And we're not happy. Well, you know, and it doesn't have to be that way. What um one of the things that has recently happened during some of the prayer time for um, for unforgiveness that I, I've had with some people is I started to to talk to them about unforgiveness, and what was really interesting is I would ask them what they see, and they would be in complete blackness. They're being complete darkness. And they would feel like they were in complete darkness. And so I was like, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to start looking for Jesus. We're going to ask Jesus to come and help us, help you get out of this, this darkness. What's interesting is that some people that I've, as I'm ministering to them, and this is a very different way of, of ministering to somebody, but this is like something the Holy Spirit kind of started doing. <clears throat> and what, what's interesting is that they've actually said, no, I don't want to forgive. And I was thinking to myself, wait a second, you just told me you want, <laughs> you want to be free, but they, they can't let go. They just can't let go. And it's almost like something it's else. Well, it, yeah. it's a choice, but it almost seems like something else has gotten them into a place of, if I forgive this person, then then I can't, that bitterness, that anger, that resentment, that hurt, that, that those those things that are controlling and keeping that person from their 
from their joy, from their peace, from their happiness, it almost seems to consume them and it doesn't want to let go. It, it's a really powerful thing. It imprisons us. It's a chain. It's a bondage. It's a bondage in life. It becomes a stronghold yes. in life. And what happens is, because when we're getting into the anger and bitterness, that's a work of the flesh, according to Galatians chapter 5. And so that's where we're looking. And well, there can be a bit of a spiritual side to it, and the enemy can play on it and take advantage of it, because in the Bible, when it says we're not ignorant of the enemy's devices, the context is about offense and unforgiveness. And so we stay trapped in that place, but it becomes something that people are kind of comfortable with. And sometimes people in their heart have a want of vengeance instead of looking and God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, turn them over to me. And so it can become a choice where a person doesn't want to. What would probably help people is if they'd be willing to hear good, sound, biblical teaching on what forgiveness is and what it isn't to help them have faith come by hearing and get a better understanding, because the Word of God tells us wisdom is the principal fact, and with wisdom to get knowledge and understanding. And so I believe if those people would be willing to do that, and willing to learn more about it and understand it, that faith would come by hearing, and they could get to a place where they would be willing, by faith, to make a decision to forgive. Well, I, enabled by God. I will. But we can decide, nope, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, I will. And, it's, and that's sad. That's really sad because it, it, just, it destroys a person on the inside. It's heartbreaking. It is exactly that. It's taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Yes. And what's interesting in both of these different scenarios, both people did forgive. And both people saw light after the forgiveness. After the forgiveness left, they actually saw light. How wonderful. I, and it was what was so beautiful. My, my sister, and, I, and I'm, I'm just talking about this experience with my sister, because my sister has just been just, oh, and we live, you know, we, we've experienced some similar things, but there were other things that she just, because of some of the things that had happened to her, she just constantly was being, you know, these wounds were constantly being opened constantly, constantly. And so there was never a breathe. There was never a breath for her to see herself other than how she thought she was. And so when she finally finally, you know, said, okay, I just, because what we did is we did a blanket statement because to go through individual people was just too hard. It was just too hard. She couldn't do it. And so we Mm -hmm. just, so the Holy Spirit was like, all right, we're just going to forgive everybody one big breath. And so we did. And as we did, she started to see light. I said, what do you see now? She goes, I think I see light. And I was like, run to the light, run to the light. And it was, it was almost like in a movie. It was, it was really interesting. But what was so beautiful is that when she finally saw the light, I actually, I could see her face become brighter. It was almost like all this, this hurt, sorrow, 
pain. Ever. I, I could almost see it visually lift off her face until her face was so bright because she wasn't carrying this stuff anymore. It didn't have any hold on her anymore. And it was the most beautiful thing because the, the thing about, you know, when you, when you deal with unforgiveness, when you deal with some of these things, Sometimes you, you have to, like you said, there's strongholds. And so I don't like deliverance. I hated deliverance. I, I thought it was just a horrible, messy thing. And I really wanted nothing to do with it. But seeing this, this was beautiful. This was freedom. Yeah. This, and this is something that everybody has a chance and a choice to have. They can walk in a, in a place of, of freedom, but it, it really does have to be their choice. It does. And what can be a big challenge for people, sometimes we live in ongoing situations where we're trying to heal, but a fresh wound comes from the same person or same situation that has to be in our life, and it's like a scab gets pulled off. And it can be a challenge where people ask, well, how am I supposed to heal when, okay, I'm dealing with this ongoing situation of, okay, there was a divorce and there's children involved and there's things and there's things can get very complicated. They can get very messy. So there can be ongoing wounds. And so how do I heal? What can help a lot after you're going through some of the deepest of restoration through these things, that you come to a place where forgiveness becomes an automatic way of life, where it becomes a strength in your life. And I have learned, when I know I'm going into certain situations ahead of me, I make the decision in advance to forgive them of whatever is going to come out of their mouth or transpire. And I look and say, God, I'm making the choice now, and I'm voicing it out loud to you, God. Because that also helps me guard my heart. It helps protect me from being quite as deeply wounded because I've invited God into the middle of the situation where I look and I'm like, God, help me be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath according to your word. You know, so it's also knowing enough at times. Sometimes you need to know you're going to need to forgive in advance. And when stuff happens, reiterate the forgiveness, because you can forgive somebody, and something's just happened, and you get all riled up all over dead in your head and think, oh, I didn't forgive them. Yeah, you did. Just keep reiterating the forgiveness. Maybe it's, you know, ten times within five minutes when something has initially just rocked your world. That's okay. You're not crazy. Reiterate it. Forgive one time reiterate it. It's like, no, I already did that. And then really when your mind is wanting to run amok and you're imagining all the things you could say or the rotten things you could do back, to look and take those thoughts captive like the word does and it tells us to think on what's true and a good report. And boy, it's a battle. It's not easy, but you start getting good at it. That's right. And your quality of life starts improving. That's awesome. And so, you know, God gives us and equips us with everything that we need. And that also means that when you can't forgive somebody because you just don't know how to do it, you can ask him to help you to do it. And you can say, Jesus, help me to forgive this person. I don't know how. 
But I, if you can help me and show me, and because sometimes, you know, Jesus says that, that his burdens are light, he can take our burdens and our burdens can also be some of our unforgiveness, especially if we're willing. All we have to do is be willing and he'll take our stuff and he'll help us deal with it. He'll help us sort it because he never wants to just keep us on our own. We're not orphans. We have a daddy and our daddy wants to help us. And if that means walking out forgiveness, he's like, I can do that because while he was on the cross, he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was asking for forgiveness because maybe there was something inside him. That was hurt at what was happening. And so he was quick to forgive. Yes. That was, that just was so Holy Spirit inspired, seriously. <laughs> because I, I have never thought about that. But that's a very interesting kind of concept is that that's yes. why he said it. Because if he could forgive what was happening to him as he hung on that cross, then we should be able to also forgive the atrocities and the hard things that have happened to us because he took all of our sins. He took all of our stuff. He took our unforgiveness. He took everything. And so he's just asking us, listen, if you just say yes, I'll help you through it. Now, let me just ask you, um, what are some of the things, what are some of the, the testimonies that have happened from people reading your book? Because in, in, in so many ways, you kind of, like chronologically helped to bring through scripture, through story to, to bring people into a place of, okay, this is how you can do it. So what are some of the testimonies that you've gotten back from your book? Well, uh, some men in prison had received the book and after they were released came to visit us at the church and just tell me how it really helped set them free. I've had people that experienced serious abuse in their childhood, and, you know, they were in their 60s and so finally got set free after 60 years after things happened. Wow. That's phenomenal. I've had a young man come who had never cried in his whole life because he was taught and it was enforced in his home, even as a child. He was not allowed to cry. And he said the first time he actually was able to start crying and release that it was a good cry during worship in church. And hearing people just be able to be freed from things that were just holding them back in their past and to watch the difference in their countenance and even in in their posture and how they walk and how they interact with people and having watched some uh, a young woman who had been just suicidal and so distraught and then not you know a year later she's just joyful and and that, and she had just gotten married and it's really a, a joy to watch people be able to be released from those weights and have a much better quality of life as God works in them and through them. That is awesome. So is there any way that people can reach out to you if they'd like to connect with you? They can connect with me. Facebook is probably the best way to get a hold of me. I'm there as Pam Parkerson, 
That's an E-R, not like the disease. It's Parkinson. Habib, H-A-B is in blessed, I-B is in blessed. I love that. And Facebook's a great way to, to connect with me, and I try and post encouraging thoughts and things on a regular basis as well to edify folks. Okay, so if you guys are interested in getting her book, it is How to Forget the Past by Dr. Pamela Habib. You can find that on Amazon. And what were the other books that you also have? The other books that are available on um, Amazon is God, Where Were You When? Question mark. Love that. That's such a great title. And also, you know, they they have a great church. It is Community Church Fixer of Hearts, and that's in New Brunswick, New Jersey. So if you guys ever get a chance, you can also go and and experience worship and word and just a a presence of love that is just felt from the moment you open the doors. So it is, it's, it's such an honor. It has been such a, um, a privilege to really talk about this because this is a subject I've been wanting to talk about because it's so important, but, but it it had to be with you. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Yeah. Nobody else could, could do this. I knew that this was, this was something so special. And and I hope that you guys have been really been blessed by this because this is so important because God wants you to be free. So it's time at what, what were you saying? Is that stop drinking the poison? (laughs) Yeah. It's unforgiveness is poison and you're, taking poison and you're waiting for the other person to die. That's it. When we forgive, it's not about freeing them. It's about freeing ourselves. Amen. That is beautiful. So again, if you guys want to go to Amazon and check out her books, God, Where Were You When? And also How to Forget the Past, you can go and get that on Amazon. You can also connect with her on Facebook. And of course, we would love to hear from you if you'd like any more information. I can always send you... um, connect you with uh, Dr. Pamela Habib, and you can do that through Lisa at Touch by Prayer. Well, this has been fun. Yes, it has. (laughs) And this has been such a joy. So have a very, very blessed evening. Thank you so much again for sharing your story and for sharing all your wisdom. My pleasure. And I hope that you guys have loved this. This has been so great. Love to hear from you. Have a very, very blessed Easter. Just remember to go out and touch someone. Good night.